Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him with, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, blessed Lord, we thank you once again. We, we are joyful this morning. And as the Apostle Peter says, we bless you, Almighty God, because you have been merciful. You've caused us to be born again. You've given us a living hope. And it's through the resurrection of the dead. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all you've done for us. For without you, we would have nothing in this life. And so, Lord, we just pray, dear God, that you would bless our service today. I ask, Almighty God, that your Holy Spirit would anoint my mind and my lips and my mouth, that as I speak, I would speak your very words. Carry me along, Holy Spirit. Help me and enable me to teach your people And more importantly, Father, give us all ears to hear. May we hear from you today, Holy Spirit. Instruct our souls. We ask that you would fill us, O Lord, with a renewed sense and a renewed vision for you, for your kingdom, and that we would be filled with hope and joy today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It is a big holiday today all across the world. Christians from every nation in the world, of every denomination, are gathering together to celebrate Easter. For some Christians, it's one of the only times of the year they'll come to church. But it is a day that everybody who believes in Christ to one degree or another acknowledges is a special day. And that is because it's the day that without, without it, there would be no Christianity. Jesus would have been just another crucified a false prophet in Israel, and there'd be nothing more to talk about. But clearly, Christ has risen from the dead, and if he hadn't risen from the dead, then the apostles would have been disbanded and finished. But he indeed rose, and he visited them. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he walked the earth. And on the 40th day, he ascended into heaven. And Christ rules, and he reigns, and he is alive. We do not serve a dead Savior. We serve a living God. And because we serve a living God and a living Christ, we have a living hope. You see, that's what Easter is all about. That's what the resurrection is all about. It is about having newness of life and hope. The Apostle Paul called it the hope of the resurrection. And the Apostle Peter here in this passage calls it 
the living hope. And when you think about it, if there's anything we need to hear about today, it is hope. Because there's not much to be hopeful about. When I looked at my news report this morning on my phone, as I normally do, I guess that's the version of the newspaper today, all I see is bad news. The war in Russia is brewing. State television saying World War III has already begun. COVID cases are on the rise. The economy is ready to collapse. If you follow the news, it could be very dark, very depressing, and very hopeless. Not only that, but just look around you on day-to-day life. There's sin all about. It just seems the morality continues to deteriorate in our nation and around us in society. Where There is much that happens that could discourage. But this is all part of sin. When Adam sinned in the garden, through Adam sin came into this world, and through sin comes suffering and, pardon me, and death. All the problems we have in this world are a result of sin. God's plan was that he created the world and it was very good. Everything God made was good. And everything was created to function perfectly. But when sin entered creation, sin disrupted and distorted everything. For those of you who are tech savvy, it's like getting a virus on your computer. It just messes everything up. Sin is the ultimate virus. It's the virus of creation. And there's only one cure for it. There's only one antivirus program, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the good news that we have today as Christians. The good news is that there is hope. Christ died and he rose from the dead to give human humanity and human beings hope. In the Old Testament, the saints looked forward to the coming Messiah. It was the hope they had, the anticipation that God would send a Messiah, a Savior, a Deliverer, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent and restore humanity back to paradise. Even Job, in all of his affliction, had this hope. In Job 19.25, he says, I know my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. And all of Israel had that hope which was fulfilled in the incarnation of Christ. But Israel didn't know that their maker had come to meet with them. He came to redeem them. He came to reveal himself to them. But they believed him not. But all who did believe in him, he gave them the right to be the children of God. Now we're in the new covenant. We're 2,000 years post the death and resurrection of Christ. And we look backwards to look forwards. It is looking backwards to the cross, looking backwards to the resurrection that gives us hope for the future. And that is what we need today to counter all the negativity and discouragement. This is how the apostle starts. And I want us to look at four different aspects of the living hope we have. First is our living hope is based on the new birth. Our living hope is based on the new birth. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, 
According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the first and most important thing we have to realize, that our hope that we have is not something that we can generate, that we can manufacture, but it is something that is given to us as a gift from God, the God of all hope. Blessed be God. The, the, the resurrection gives us cause to praise God because of the abundance of his mercy. God caused something to happen in our life. He caused a change. And that change that he caused is called the new birth. He caused us to be born again. And I think this is so important because I think so many Christians are confused on this issue. They think that somehow if you believe in Christ and believe in the gospel, that will cause you to be born again. Therefore, your new birth, your regeneration is self-caused. Let me make it very clear. The Bible says here, God caused us to be born again. The cause is God. The effect is the new birth. Everything originates with God. Just as, and, and let me just make this clear. When we talk about the new birth, what are we talking about? We're talking about regeneration, a, a regenesis, a new creation. And just as God spoke forth and the world came into existence, the Lord said, let there be light. The God said, let there uh, be trees and let there be birds and let there be fish. And it was. And so it is in the same way God speaks forth to us and brings about a new creation, a change. You see, in order for us to have a living hope, notice this isn't just any hope. It's a living hope. The adjective is a living hope. You must be made alive. It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. It means there must be a fundamental change. You must be risen from the spiritual dead. And it's through the resurrection of Christ, through his physical resurrection, that we experience a spiritual resurrection, regeneration. What does the Bible tell us in Ephesians 2.12? It says that apart from God, we are without hope and without God in this world, Ephesians 2.12. We are alienated, we're separated. This is what it means to be spiritually dead. I preached on this on Friday. To be spiritually dead means to be separated, to be dead unto God. You're not alive. You're alive physically and you could see and you can hear and you could comprehend, but you cannot make connections because the spiritual side of you is dead. It's dormant. It's done. You are, you are deadened unto the things of God, unto the, the spiritual nature. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us, and you, speaking of Christians, were at one time dead. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. That's what sin does. Sin kills. Sin makes dead. And you once walked in those sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's work at the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, fundamental to our sinful nature is that like all mankind, we are children of wrath. That means our nature is one of rebellion and that is one is under judgment. So in order for us to have a hope, we need to be made alive. 
The only hope, the only thing we could look forward to in our natural state apart from Christ is judgment and wrath. That's the only future hope we have, which isn't hope at all. God is the one who causes. God is the one who intervenes. It is God who made and took the initiative, not because we loved him, but because he loved us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's the life of God, eternal life. It's spiritual life. And God is the one who brings about this change. It's not that we believe and then he causes us to be born again. God causes us to be born again and thus we believe. It is Jesus who said to Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot even see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. You can't see. That means you can't comprehend. You can't have the vision of the kingdom of God. How could you enter it if you can't see it and you can't see it unless you're born again? And so we see that this is fundamental and necessary to have this living hope. Also, it is predicated on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We would not be here discussing the new birth. We would not be here discussing life in the spirit if Christ did not raise from the dead. It is the basis of of the second birth. It is the basis of a new creation. We are new creations in Christ Jesus 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us. That means apart from our union with Christ, there can be no regeneration. There cannot be a new birth. Christ's resurrection is the power that enables us to live the spirit-filled life in Christ. And that's what gives us that hope. You see, when we come to faith in Christ... It is Christ who lives in us now. We become new people. The old man dies. It's crucified with Christ, and we're a new person. And that new person is vivified. It's renewed by the Spirit of God living in us. It says in Romans 6, 8 through 11, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For death, the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also you must consider or reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the power of the resurrection. That's why Paul says, I count all things in this life as worthless, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. The power of Christ's resurrection is the power to live life the way God intended it. To live a life the way that is free of sin, that is free of self, and that is free of self-destruction. It is a life that glorifies God. And it can only be lived when Christ is dwelling in you through the Spirit. You see, Good Friday and Easter Sunday are not just two days of the year that we come to church and sing good songs, but it is the basis of who we are as Christians. We're joined to Christ in his death and we're joined to him in his resurrection. And this plays out every day of your life. 
And if you're not a believer and if you're not born again and you're not joined to Christ by faith, then this spirit-filled life cannot be accomplished. You may try to be as religious as possible. You may try to be a good person, but the more you try and the more you do, it will never be enough because apart from the spirit of God, it is impossible. In some ways, there's no life more hopeless than the life that is lived, the religious life that tries to achieve righteousness apart from Christ. That is utterly hopeless. The life that tries through legalistic obedience and through religious uh, observance and through trying to be a good person, failure after failure after failure is utterly hopeless. It is only on the finished work of Christ alone that we can have a living hope. Secondly, a living hope for a better future. A living hope for a better future. Speaking of your eternal inheritance. The word hope, if you look it up in the Oxford Dictionary, says this. Hope is a feeling, an expectation, and desire for a certain thing to happen. Hope is always based on the future. right? You're not, hope is not looking backwards. It's not looking at the present. Hope always looks to the future with an expectation, an anticipation of something good happening. Something better than what it is right now. The basis of hope is that things aren't so good now and that things will get better. So let me make this clear. If your hope is based on this world and on things getting better, you're going to be disappointed. Even if you got it all together, I got to tell you, I've seen it so many times. People think they have it together. They think their world is intact. They have a lot of money and wealth and they retire and they have a pension and they, they, they think they're going to go to Florida and they're going to live the good life. And then as soon as they get there, and I'm not saying this to anybody to discourage anybody, <laughs> but the truth is I've seen this happen, then you get a cancer diagnosis. And this is not to, to speak evil, but I've seen this happen to people. The point, I've seen people who, you know, build a house and, and move to Texas and have this big glorious house and a tornado rips through and doesn't destroy anyone in the neighborhood, but destroys their house. They thought they had it together. They thought they were in control. And poof, like that, everything was destroyed. You put your hope in these the things of this world, it, nothing's guaranteed. That's the whole point. Nothing, your health is not guaranteed. Your future prosperity is not guaranteed. Money coming in isn't guaranteed. Your children doing the right thing are not guaranteed. Nothing is guaranteed. There's some people who do really well, but trust me, nothing is guaranteed in life. And if your hope is only in this world and in this life and what this life offers, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. God has something better that our hope is based on. It's based on something that, that is outside of this world. It tells us in verse 4, it is, it is to, the hope is to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's an inheritance. The word inheritance has echoes of the Old Testament when Israel came into Canaan. And when Israel conquered Canaan, God said to them, I am giving you the land of Canaan as an inheritance in which was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When God promises something, he fulfills his word. 
But if Canaan was all there was to to the promises of God, then there's something missing because if you look at the land of Palestine and Israel today, it is a mess. That is not the ultimate destiny. In fact, we're told in the book of Hebrews that the plan was much bigger, that Canaan was pointing to something bigger. If you're turning your Bible uh, to um, Hebrews chapter 11. It tells us in verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now notice verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Look in verse 15. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them for a city. Our inheritance is not in this world. Our inheritance, God has not promised to give us physical blessings in this life. But instead, he has given us an inheritance. He's reserved it for us. A heavenly inheritance that cannot be defiled and, and destroyed and that cannot be faded away, that, that cannot be subject to corruption and corrosion. A heavenly treasure. And it's kept in heaven for you. Second Peter 3.13 gives us the long vision. In 2 Peter 3.13, he speaks of that time. He says, according to the promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's our inheritance. That's what we've been marked out for. It tells us in the scripture it's obtained by faith. It's nothing of our own that we've earned. Christ has earned it for us, and it is guarded by the power of God. The imagery here is God guarding a treasury. Imagine, imagine if you go to Fort Knox, although I don't think there's much gold there anymore, but if you go to Fort Knox, and, and imagine the, the guards that are guarding the federal treasury. How much more the God of the universe is guarding this treasure, this inheritance that's yours and that's mine. Here's the good news. God's already given us a deposit. God's already given us a deposit. It it tells us in Ephesians 1, listen to this, verse 13, 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I I do real estate as, as a side business, as some of you know. 
And, and, you know, when someone puts an offer on the house, saying you'll buy the house is worthless. Signing a contract is, is not worth the paper it's written on. What matters to a seller is that you put a deposit. When you put 10 or 20% of the value of the home as a deposit and say, I promise to buy this house, and if you don't, you can keep my money. In the same way, God has given us a guarantee. He says, I've given you my spirit. I've given you this resurrection life that you're living now. You're enjoying this eternal life, and it's just a taste, and it's a down payment, and I am going to give you the full payment one day. We get the first installment when we go to heaven. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, but it doesn't end there because God is going to raise our bodies incorruptible like his son Jesus Christ the first fruits of the resurrection and we will share in the resurrection with Christ and we will dwell in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells forever we have a pretty good future don't we we have a very good future but sometimes that future is obscured by the temporal The question is, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Because so often it is obscured because we're looking to the things of this world for our treasure, for our satisfaction, for our pleasure. The Lord Jesus warned us of this. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said to us, do not, Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heavens, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? Where your treasure is will tell you where your hope is. If your treasure is based on the here and now, your hope will be diminished. But if your hope is on the inheritance that God has reserved in heaven for us, then our hope can never be taken away from us. It can never be deferred. It can never be a disappointment because God will never disappoint us. Man may disappoint you. You will disappoint you. I will disappoint you. But God will never disappoint. Thirdly, our living hope gives us endurance in trials. All right? How do you get through difficult seasons in life? You have hope. If you believe things will be better one day, it's easy to get through the hard times. It tells us in verse 6, in this you rejoice. Well, what is in this? In this inheritance, in this future hope that we have. Though, and here's the though, here's the, here's the you know, parentheses here, though, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is the point here? Is that, this inheritance is the basis of this hope and we causes us to rejoice. Because guess what? In this life, you're going to be grieved. 
You're going to suffer various trials. And you're, that means a variety of things are going to happen in your life that are going to try you and test you and make life difficult for you. Anybody who says they have no trials hasn't lived long enough. Even, the, even those with a lot of money and a lot of success and a lot of power still have trials. That's part of life. The richest man in the world can't avoid a cancer diagnosis. The most powerful people in the world can't avoid having problems with relationships, can't avoid having kids gone astray. Everyone has problems. There are various trials that come into our life that are going to test us and try us. But here's the good news. They're only, as verse 6 says, for a little while. Compared with heaven, compared with our eternal inheritance, which lasts forever, the trials we go through are temporary. They're they're short-lived. When you're in the trial, it feels like it's going on forever, doesn't it? If you're in prison for a 20-year sentence for a crime you didn't commit, every day feels like a thousand years. When you're going through the trial, it just, when, Lord, when am I getting out of this? But the Bible tells us, comparative to eternity, it's only a little while. Look through history. Whatever suffering our forefathers have went through was only for a little while. Whatever you're going through today, whether it's suffering through a sickness or a loved one who's sick, maybe it's a, a, a marriage that's struggling or children who've gone astray, maybe you're, you've lost your job, maybe you have a new job and you, you can't stand your, your supervisor or, or maybe you're at risk of losing your home or maybe your, your health is deteriorating or whatever burden, whatever, whatever you're suffering with, it's only for a little while. We must have hope to realize that, that as Paul says in Romans 8.18, he considers the sufferings of this present time not even worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. I like to use the illustration of keeping your focus on the destination, not the journey. I don't like flying on airplanes, quite frankly. I love, but I love getting a plane getting me to where I want to go quickly. I love the fact that I could hop on a plane and in four hours be in Florida and I don't have to drive 18 hours in a car. I love that. But I don't like actual flying. My wife will tell you that. I, I don't like when the plane is soaring at 30,000 feet above the air. We hit a pocket of turbulence and everything's moving up and down and sideways and I'm not sure what is going on. I just close my eyes and pray. But it's only a little while. When I land, I'm happy. The turbulence of life are short-lived. Keep your eyes on the destiny. Also, just remember this, trials are necessary Peter's telling us it, it, it proves your faith. You know what trials do? They prove if you're a Christian or not. Trials will do one of two things in your life. They will either drive you further away from God or they will draw you closer to God. That's the effect of trials. That's why they're called trials. They're, they're, it's a trial of your faith. I believe, I believe in God. I believe in Christ. Amen, praise God. I can't tell you how many times... In my life, I've seen people rejoice in God and praise God and, and, and delight in Him and, 
and just have an exuberant spiritual life and then a little difficulty comes in and they're gone. The Lord spoke about in the parable of the seeds. There's a seed planted on shallow soil. And as soon as the difficulties of life come in, it withers away because there was no root. How many are like that? You see, the tested genuineness of our faith is tried by fire. Before the Lord entered into his public ministry, he was tested for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness by Satan. Just remember this. If our Lord suffered in this life and a path to glory was suffering, it will be no less for the children of God. We cannot think that a servant is greater than his master. But there's a purpose in all that, and the purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ. Whatever trials come into your life, whatever you endure is designed more and more to conform you to the image of Christ. Life is not going to be easy. Life is not going to be easy. There's no Christian utopia in this world. You are going to encounter difficulty and trials and suffering no matter where you go or what you do. One of the things, and and this is, again, not to to discourage anyone or to put anyone in a bad light. I'm I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but I'm thinking in general. I went to a pastor's a pastor's conference recently, there were a group of pastors and one of the topics of discussion was how every church in the area is just losing members left and right. Everyone's losing members. Well, why are they leaving? Are they, are they leaving because of doctrine? No. Are they leaving because uh, um, we're not preaching the gospel? No. Are they leaving because of sin? No. They're leaving New York. Nobody wants to live in New York no more. I could understand that. I get it. I totally get it. But don't think that you're going to go to Florida or Texas or wherever you go and it's going to be it's going to be a land of milk and honey. Do not think that it's going to be Israel and you're leaving Egypt and you're going to cross the Jordan River and say, "Ah, because even when Israel got into the land of Canaan, they had nothing but problems." You're always going to have trials. You're always going to have difficulties. There's always going to be persecution. There is nowhere you can escape it. Eventually, I don't care where you run in America, eventually this whole nation is going to be secularized and godless. You can't stop that trend. It's a generational thing. Because of this, we can rejoice. Romans 3 Five, three through five says we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that our suffering produces endurance endurance produces character and character produces what hope and hope does not put us to shame this is the living hope before which god caused us to be born again finally a living hope is grounded in a relationship with jesus christ all of this boils down to the person work of jesus christ being born again is not just having a new life It's having the life of Christ because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The life that you need is eternal life. And Jesus said this in John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. You cannot have this living hope unless you have 
the life of God, the life of Christ, eternal life, and you can only have it through a personal relationship with Christ. That is what it is all about. That's what the resurrection is all about. Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. He's not dead. He's alive. And because he's alive, you can have a relationship with him. And that relationship is expressed through the spirit living in us, knowing his presence in a very real way, experiencing his presence in a real way, praying and receiving answers to prayer and seeing God move in your life and seeing sanctification in your life and growing and learning and depending on him day by day, knowing that Jesus Christ is very real to the heart of the believer. That's eternal life. That's the kind of life that no matter where you are in this life, whether you abound and have a lot or whether you have little and are poor, Paul could say, I'm content in all circumstances because we have Christ, the greatest treasure of all. You see, Jesus being risen from the dead assures us that he is real in our lives and he manifests himself and reveals himself to us through his word, through the ministry and through the indwelling presence of the Spirit. That is why Peter can say, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory. That's the relationship. I can't see Jesus. No, I can't see him anywhere. But I love him. I can't see him, but I believe in him. That's faith. The Bible tells us this in Hebrews 11.4, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Our whole faith, our whole existence depends on loving and believing in him who we cannot see because we are convinced and assured of it by the resurrection of the dead. It's not blind faith, it's a settled conviction because we have experienced the resurrection of Christ in our lives. And because of this, we have joy inexpressible. Let me say this. Nothing in this world will give you joy more than knowing Jesus Christ. People search. There's a lot of depressed people in this world. You know, for the most developed and wealthiest country in the world, we have the highest rate of people who are depressed and are on anxiety medication. As someone recently who works in a very wealthy school district told me, Pastor Bob, you can't believe how many of the students are on antidepressants. Money doesn't make you happy. It helps, but it does not bring joy. True joy, true lasting joy can only be giving from God. It can only come through relationship with Christ. And that is joy that is inexpressible. There's no words to it. It's indescribable. It's the kind of joy that the psalmist says in Psalm 1611, you make known to me the paths of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's why when we look back in history, those who've been martyred for their faith and even today those who martyr faith can do so with joy because go ahead, take my life, take everything. You can't take Christ from me. That's all, I, that's all we need. This is the gospel message. And the result is this, verse 9, you obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is what it's all about. We cap off Holy Week with this. 
It is the gospel message. Turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though if some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. Paul, the least of the apostles, reminds us what is of first importance. That is the gospel. Christ died for us, he was buried, and he rose again. And because of that, when you put your trust in Jesus, you receive the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, that is your living hope. You see, the body can go through all kinds of things. What ultimately matters is your soul saved. Saved from what? Well, there's only one thing you could be saved from, and I circle right back to the beginning Before you were born again, you were all, by nature, children of wrath. Our sins deserve one thing and one thing only, God's judgment. I don't care how good of a person or how religious you think you are. The Bible says no one is righteous, no, not even one. And the person who thinks they are so righteous, Isaiah 64, 6 says, your righteousness is like the filthy undergarments of a woman. They're dirty rags in God's sight. The only righteousness that's good enough for you to get to heaven is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. (coughs) 2 Corinthians 5.20 gives us that great gospel promise. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that through him we may become the righteousness of God. Do you believe in Christ today? Have you trusted in him? Is this real to you? I'm going to tell you one thing. Life without hope is misery. You want to know what depression is? Depression is people who have no hope. Only Christ can give us that hope, that living hope. You need to be born again. If you're not born again, you're not believing in Christ, then I pray that you would humble yourselves before God and beg him, Lord, save me. Make me born again. Give me a new heart. You could pray that. God, give me a new heart. Take the stony heart of of, uh, the hardened heart out of me, the heart of sin. Take it away. Give me a heart of flesh, Lord. You see, only when you know Christ, you're born again and you know you're saved. Can you have a true and living hope? Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, thank you for this word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the living hope we have. I pray that there's any here who do not have that hope from the youngest to the oldest, O oh Lord. For those who've been, who are members, for those who are not members, for those who are visiting, for those near and those far, for those who are listening online, for those who are here in person. Oh Lord, Lord, we pray that you'd give them new hearts. Make them born again. Father, for those of us who've been discouraged and weary, Lord, living in such dark times, I pray that this Easter Sunday we would have a hope. That hope and the future inheritance we have, instill it in us. May it be baked into our minds. Help us to keep our minds fixed above, not on things below. Help us to walk in that hope, to live in that hope, and to spread that hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.